0: Welcome to the BT Rome podcast. Once again, this is your host, Brian, and as always, thank you for joining me. Phew! What a crazy time, eh? I don't know about you, but for me, 2020 has been like being tossed into a washing machine set on manic, with only occasional brief opportunities to catch my breath. And so here we are. On the cusp of the second half of this podcast, episodes 21 to 40, and the last time I spoke to you, I thought it was the end of an era for me, an end to 15 years teaching in the public schools of Japan. Not so fast, mister. For today, I received a phone call and an offer to keep at it for one more month, because, well, I'm not exactly sure. All I know is there is an opening, and I was asked about my trip to America, which I've decided to delay for obvious reasons, and I was offered the opportunity to teach for one more month in a different elementary school than the one I've been teaching in. And well, this year has been all about making adjustments on the fly. It's the third of my four-part mantra, which goes, I don't know, we'll see, adjust accordingly, and it's okay. So after a long-ass bike ride, as well as an hour listening to my local river, I've decided I'll do the gig. Why do I tell you all these boring details about my professional life? Well, because I think they offer a key lesson to this year that we are going to have to come to terms with, and the sooner the better, and that is, in times of turmoil, increase your opportunity to be flexible. Another way of saying it is, go with the flow, but... I actually think that my band, Fish, deepens this understanding with one of their most beloved lyrics. The key is to surrender to the flow. All perhaps have much more to say about this huge topic of time on future episodes because it's kind of the core contemplation of my life, especially recently, and all of my inquiries lead me to understanding that humanity is in a huge transition in how we experience time, and how we are to interact with it. But I say I may get to that topic because due to the fact that I'll be dedicating at least 35 hours per week to a regular job until the end of the month, well, all I can promise you is that the BNP Realm podcast is that you'll get two episodes per week, two chapters of my book, period. I may very well transition into just reading the book and saying, hello, this is the BNP Realm, listen to the book, thanks, (laughs) bye-bye. Many episodes will likely not be as focused or as edited as I'd like, but such is life. Father time sets limitations, and I must accept that, motherfucker. (coughs) Excuse me, that's all said, I'm not going to edit any of this shit out, because I'm busy right now. The following clips were intended to be a bonus episode, so you'll hear me call them a bonus several times, but well, all of a sudden, I have less time, so I must get hurried. Slow down. Anyway, less time, folks. So this episode, we'll be dealing with that topic of time. Uh, first, I will be reading an essay to you from a person who works in an Amazon warehouse. And it sounds like a small version of hell. And so I'll be reading that to you and ponder the situation there and there and how much... And then there's a kind of rambling rap that I recorded the other day, which is also on the topic of time and just becoming getting a little more serious during these times. So that's what you get this week. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I actually think it's pretty good, but um, I wanted to spend a little more time on it. Uh, However, now I did say something at the start of this. Um, I'm actually recording this now later in the evening, so that's why it sounds a little different, different mic. Um, But turns out i won't be starting on wednesday if i take this new job which i think i will um but i'm not sure when i'll be starting regardless i will have less time to focus on making the podcast um as detail oriented or uh anyway i'm gonna just try to record things and put them out and i'll get the book out and that will be that and we'll see where we go from there so okay enjoy the show I'm sitting outside after my lunch here, so if you hear any strange noises, such as a squawking that I just heard a minute ago, it's because I'm outside. Okay, I'm going to read this article out loud, and I don't know where this article is going to go, but it seems interesting. It's from The Medium, and it is from a series, Life in the Time of Coronavirus, is a new gen series gen is a publication on medium where we are interviewing people across the country who have had their lives upended or are experiencing the stress of the unknown excuse me this amazon employee who wishes to remain anonymous is an inbound Stowe associate in her mid-20s working at a major california warehouse employee organizations in other warehouses have been negotiating for increased labor rights with some recent successes but her facility does not have such an organization okay here's the article if i could stay home i would but i need this job we have work gloves and hand sanitizer but nothing else to protect us from the coronavirus everything has been touched by one thousand hands hands at the manufacturer the distributor the docks the trucks hands making up the pallets. Then I pick up each item and put it on my pod, and that pod goes to other sets of hands, the pickers, the packers, the shippers. We move fast and we sweat when we work. The warehouse has no air circulation. One sneeze particle and it's just caught inside. What if my whole department, my whole warehouse gets sick? For my role, I stand in the station, and I receive items, toys, books, clothes, household goods, even dildos, I'll be honest, in bins. I take each item and move it to a pod with shelves beside me. When I completely fill the pod, which is self-driving, it heads over to the outbound section. The customers want their stuff fast. Our days are built around that desire. Before the pandemic, I worked from 6 p.m. to 4.30 a.m., 10 hour days, 4 days a week, except for peak holiday season when I worked overtime, 5 days a week, 12 hours a day. I got paid $15.55 per hour base pay, $0.60 extra for working overnight, so $16.15 per hour and around $23 for overtime. We do get benefits, including dental, vision, and health insurance, and a 401k. In normal times, I bring home about $1,900 a month. Because of the coronavirus, demand has shot up. We're now required to work five days a week, 10 hours a day. We're short-staffed. Half my team isn't showing up. They're scared or they're sick. I don't know. Rumors have been circulating that 50 workers here are being tested for the coronavirus. I know at least one is positive. A single mom told me, I can't risk getting sick. She was worried that if our city went on lockdown, she wouldn't be able to get back to her kids. She stopped coming. I live with my extended family, little babies, older people. Every day I wonder, what could I bring back to them? I often say I live at Amazon half the week, but now it's most of the week. I sleep all day and wake up at three or 4 p.m., eat, drive to work, arrive around 5.30 get water, try to use the bathroom. The bathroom situation is a constant challenge. In a 10-hour shift, I get two 15-minute breaks and a 30-minute lunch break. And then I get 30 minutes of time off task to do whatever I need to do. But a normal bathroom trip can take seven to 10 minutes round trip, depending on the station you're assigned to that day. So you can really only manage three trips over the whole shift. I have to drink a lot to stay hydrated because the work is physical and i'm trying to wash my hands thoroughly sometimes i don't go to the bathroom when i need to because i'm close to getting a write-up i can't chance it if you go over your time off task for whatever reason you get a write-up six write-ups you're fired you can also get a write-up for not going fast enough i'm required to move each item from my receiving area to a pod shelf in 12 seconds at most with five seconds in between each motion. If my weekly rate is not above 80% of what is required, I get a write-up. Six write-ups fired. I have to keep a working flow, going at top speed, sometimes moving big items really fast, always thinking I could lose my job. I probably stow 600 items in a pod, then I start again. Last year, I was injured on the job. On my doctor's recommendation, I requested that I be allowed three extra seconds to move each item. Management would not accommodate me. They put me on unpaid leave for a month. I couldn't pay my phone or credit card bill. I pushed myself and headed back before I was fully recovered. Because I was rusty, I didn't make rate. I got two write-ups immediately. I'm still in pain from the injury, by the way. Some days are worse than others. Now, things are especially crazy. Regular items come in, but they're sorted to the side. We're only sending out essentials and board games, I noticed recently. I guess people are really stuck inside. But mostly it's diapers, medicines, rubbing alcohol, Lysol wipes, hand sanitizer, face masks, gloves. We don't sell these items in singles anymore. Customers want packs. A four-pack of Lysol wipes a five pack of hand sanitizers big cases of vitamin water and baby wipes and tissues so much stock is sold out workers are stressed above capacity and understaffed and we still have to hit our rates even though they're exhausted lots of people are going to keep working i would assume someone who really needs to pay i'm sorry i would assume someone who really needs the pay would probably come even if they're ill The company has made some changes, I guess. Full-time employees like me usually get 48 hours of paid leave annually and no paid sick time. But now if we test positive for the coronavirus, we get two weeks' paid sick time. Normally, we only get 20 hours unpaid time per year, but now we are allowed to take more time without it being counted against us. They've also called off Team Man... Meetings to reduce contact and moved apart tables, though people still t- sit together in the common spaces. They cut down on the number of microwaves at the lunch area and place the remaining ones six feet apart. But there are tons of employees and so many people still use them. And they are raising our pay by two dollars an hour. Two dollars. What if I get exposed? What if I can't recover? An extra two dollars an hour to risk my life? I mean, I'll take the money, but I do feel like my life is worth more. I wouldn't want to overdo it, but I would like $22 an hour to risk my life. Maybe $25. And then it says at the end, This interview has been edited and condensed for clarity. Yeah, I just read the interview and I feel kind of like an asshole why do I say that? well because I got it freaking easy so easy and so any of my concerns about whatever wherever this is leading toward my life um, you gotta put things in perspective you know And that's hard to do, you know, we're all individuals and we all have our individual experience. And I'm gonna read a little comment that my friend Eileen made to me today that seems relevant because I made well let me I wonder if I should read my comment here. This is a bonus episode, so um <clears throat> I'll read Eileen's comment first, because it does seem relevant. A common error, projecting our personal experience, capacities, beliefs, understandings, and points of view onto everyone else in the world, as if they're exactly the same as we are. I wrote, true, which is why I've kept silent mostly this week. I know everyone is feeling the stress of this Now, let me read my, uh, you know, this is a bonus. So uh, before I go on, let me just say this. Um, I'm really trying hard to work on my podcast and make it professional, make it worth listening to because it's really easy for me to sit down and just yak into a microphone and spit out whatever comes on my mind and then say, there's the podcast. But I'm more and more and more and more realizing that time. A real thing we're struggling with right now is time. You know, we only have so much time in our lives. That's true for all of us. That's just part of the human experience. And so I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. Half the reason I stopped doing the baseball practices is because they waste so much time. And I'm thinking to myself, all this time we're doing all this, come on, we could be doing it faster, more efficiently. And that's not to say that faster is always better, but it's to say that I don't want to waste your time. So I spend a lot of my time on this podcast. Like last night, I honestly spent pretty much my whole work day yesterday. And this sounds like I'm complaining, but I'm not because I love doing it. But I spent probably of the seven hours I was at work, probably four to five hours just like getting the research done, reading my book, reading stuff, you know, kind of planning out the podcast. And then I went home and I spent three, maybe four more hours, three or four, you know, so probably a total of eight hours just preparing that one podcast, which is only an hour long for you guys. And I wrote everything out. It was all scripted. Um, But now here it comes back to like our culture and our life. I put that out there and... Not, I'm not laying a guilt trip on anybody, and I haven't asked for money for my podcast yet. But I put it out there, and it's all free. There's nothing that comes back to me besides people saying, "Yeah, I enjoyed your podcast." You know. And again, I'm doing this. There's an intrinsic sense of reward for me. There, that's to me. I'm much more um, motivated by what I intrinsically feel like the intrinsic sense of. I enjoy this than I am the extrinsic the, the, you know, being like complimented or given money. However, I need those things too, you know? So, um, but what I'm getting at here is that I've got a lot of free time, but at the same time, I'm always, always thinking, gosh, if I only had more time. Like I was today, I'm planning out kind of my, my new life, my new schedule. And I was thinking, okay, I've really got to focus on this. I've got to create a work schedule. And this is not to, this is a, time is such a huge topic for me, you guys. I don't want to live on the clock. I don't want to be like every day. I've got to be there at 8.15 and I've got, or, you know, I've got to start this at 8. You know, I don't want I hate that. I hate it. I can't, it's just hard for me. However, that is the human condition. You know, we don't know how many days we have in our lives, so we have to limit what we do. Uh, one thing I read a while back from a guy who talks about maturity and archetypes and becoming a man is that one of the decisions you have to make as a man is what are my limitations? Like, what will I focus on? What will I use my time for? And so, I'm really, really like so focused on this to the point where sometimes I get a little crazy over it. And then that's when I'm just like, all right, just take a break. But it's really hard for me. And it's funny because externally from the, from the outside, like from my, my family's perspective, it's like, oh, dad's quitting his job. He's all free. He's all out riding his bike and stuff. And it's partly my fault because I haven't taken the time to communicate to them, but I'm spending mostly all of my time working in a sense in a sense you know and again it's love it's work for love it's not like it's not like this article i just read where this person is working this job that god that i had trouble getting through that article i was reading it in as measured and as calm as a tone as i could but man i wanted to cry several times reading that because god god damn like how harsh is it that that person like oh i mean this whole article to be as heartbreaking it's heartbreaking and then I started feeling the guilt of like, well, I use Amazon all the time and I love how I can order today and it'll come tomorrow, but then it real then it it hit me like there's a cost to that and I've said this about amazon um I've said this to people before, not that often, but I've said it like Amazon is great for the customers. And that's why I'm not like, well, Jeff Bezos is evil and all this shit. Like, I love Amazon. Like, it's so great for me as a customer. Prices are pretty damn good. I mean, I got this, I got this, the, the Amazon Kindle Fire last year for under a $100. It's this big-ass computer, basically, that my daughter, basically, I've kind of given it to Ivy. Um, it's, I told her this is... Our family is very informal about birthday presents, but I said, this is kind of your birthday present, this is yours, you know, so if you need to use it, you don't ever need to ask me can I use it, like, it's yours. Anyway, I got it for under $100, and it's so incredible, and it came, like, one day later, and I do probably myself, because I don't have a car, and just because of the convenience of it and the price, I use Amazon for more than half of the stuff I buy. You know i bought this portable little keyboard it's awesome it's so great i can use my phone and it's like having my phone as a computer and i just bring this little keyboard around it it, it folds up to the size of a phone it's like a folding computer a keyboard um and it was like 30 dollars, you know and so as a customer i'm like amazon's great it's great it's great but then i read this article about the person behind Amazon, not Jeff Bezos, but the person actually doing the work to get me that stuff so quickly and cheaply. And it's like, wow, you know, there's some guilt. I feel some guilt. Um, so we're working a lot of this stuff out, you know, um, we're working a lot of this stuff out. And like one thing, I'm going to say this, that I hope, I hope to God that it's so hard for me to communicate right now. It's so hard because if people knew how much compassion and love I have, like, (laughs) and yet at the same time, how much frustration I have with just our culture. And this is, this is not like this just came about because of the coronavirus. This is... As I wrote, it's not 47 years in the making, but it's pretty much since I was a teenager. This feeling of like, God, our culture is fucked and shallow and stupid and people don't love each other and we're so rude to each other. Like, that's been going on since I was pretty much around 14 years old. That's when it really started. I went into my first major depression. Okay. So I say all this stuff to not to not criticize you for your behavior. I say this stuff to say, come on, people, let's get real and let's care for each other and let's take our shit, let's take our lives a little bit more seriously, you know? And however you do that is your decision, but what I want to say. And I'm, you know, I know I can sound like a lecture sometimes. And again, it's like, I have that capacity. I can, I, I could totally turn off my heart and just be like, okay, motherfuckers, this is what needs to be done. I don't think it would work that well because I, I myself kind of tune that, that vibration, that, that sort of communication out. Like I can listen to Adolf Hitler's speeches. And of course it's all in German and feel the power of it. But at the same time, I also tune it out because I'm like, this guy sounds like a prick, you know? So I'm trying to temper that. But what I want to say is all of us who are blessed with time right now, whether that's because of the coronavirus or because you've just had time, I hope you're doing a little bit of time, spending some time on doing some, you know, don't... Okay, I get to binge watch all these TV shows or I can go back and watch classic sports events and do some of that. I'm doing some of that, but do some actual deeper work in service of your fellow man, you know, do some actual thinking about this, these topics, like what is wrong with the world and how can I, how can I impact it and make it better? You know, what things bother me about the way the world works? What things have I been holding inside? And I've been saying, well, I kind of dislike that, but uh, that's just the way the world works. As we say here in Japan, shogunai, that's just the way it is. Well, you know what? That's just the way it is. I think, I would hope that the whole experience of the last month for everybody will make them at least recognize that that's just the way it is, is bullshit. Like there's nothing to that. Things can change suddenly. And so this is an opportunity to think about Okay, since things can change so quickly, what can we do? What can we do? What can I do? We don't have to think about what we can do. What can I do? And for me, for me, um, and again, I'm trying to be really, really measured in this and contemplating how do I share this information? When do I share it? Who do I share it with? All these are deep questions I'm spending a lot of time on. a lot of fucking time on (laughs) time 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 you know and it's not again it's not a complaint because for me it's just tiring you know like life is tiring it's hard and this is a hard situation but i'm i'm just hoping that everybody's not like woohoo vacation i get to go to the beach now and i don't have to do anything and you know eventually this will all pass and we can go back to normal and it's like dude you know like knock on your fucking head a little bit mcfly McFly, is anyone home? Back to the future reference. Is anyone freaking home? Are you not realizing how this system needs some changes? Are you not understanding that your own life, your own life, you've been you've been saying to yourself like this sucks, I hate this, this sucks, I hate this, but you've just kept on doing it because you thought there was no other option, there was no other choice. You're aware of that. You are aware of that. I don't have to tell you that. So ponder those things and then ask yourself, okay, what can I do to change? And some of this requires a certain amount of fearlessness. Like for me to quit my job, it required fear, some fearlessness. Some of, some of me just saying, all right, this is a risk I'm taking. I could be risking my my family situation, my marriage, my you know financial well-being, all that. But it needs to be done. It needs to be done. And I'm being called to do this. And a lot of that language sounds to people like, Oh, that's kind of humorous. I don't understand fine. You don't understand it, but I think you do on a deeper level. I think you do. So I'm just saying, what can you do? What can you do to serve that deeper part of you and serve the people around you during all this? Because I'm telling you from my own intuition and my understanding of the way the timeline is going. This is only the beginning, and I do think we're going to get a bit of a respite, Um, respite, respite, (laughs) Uh, it's either respite or respite, I don't think anybody says it, we're getting a respite, (laughs) and also laugh, yeah, be sure, like, I can do the... This whole talk has been not much laughter and pretty me getting pretty down and dirty and pretty serious, but be sure to laugh. Like I'm laughing right now because the rain is starting and here it's gonna freaking snow tomorrow here apparently. It's I'm sitting out here in my my short sleeve shirt and it's comfortable, it's like room temperature, but tomorrow it's supposed to snow. Like give me a break. So things can change overnight and they do, you know. Um But I'm just hoping that you' As you give your, I think a lot of people have just been so overworked and so burned out by this culture that now that they've been put in isolation or whatever, they're like, cool, I get to binge watch this TV show. That's great. You know what show I haven't caught up on? The Deuce, Season 3. I haven't even watched it yet. I loved Season 1 and 2, haven't seen it yet. Quite honestly, since last fall. I think the only TV show I've watched in its entirety was was, um, Watchmen, and I have my things about it I liked and things I didn't like, and I never really got into it that much, Um, but since last fall, I've just been so busy with what I think are kind of deeper stuff and more important things that i put a lot of that aside, but... In the past few weeks i've realized like okay this is now you got to listen to your your feelings and your intuition you got to know when okay turn off the news time to listen to some freaking disco biscuits and go for a bike ride you know and i'm sure most of you don't listen to the disco biscuits but you should because they're great all right i'm going to end this i was going to read my uh i'll finish this by reading what i wrote which caused eileen to respond that way and we'll end it this way because it is starting to rain. It feels nice. so I've been holding my tongue this week for a variety of reasons, but mostly because I want to respect and empathize with those who are really facing the worst of times in all of this. If that is you, if you are facing possible death in your family or a circle of friends, my heart goes out to you, truly. If you are a person who is facing extreme economic stress as a result of the situation, my heart also goes out to you. Now, The line I've been drawing, though, is when the culture, with a capital C, orders people they are not allowed to go outside, period, for their health. For are we not following all these restrictions of our freedoms because of our health? Thus, this news from South Africa is quite concerning. From the article, there will be no jogging, dog walking, across the country, which so far has the highest number of detected infections in sub-Saharan Africa at more than 1,000 with two deaths announced early on Friday by the health ministry. It is not, in my humble opinion, callous to see, those government, to see these government restrictions and ponder that the cure may be worse than the disease. Again, if there is one issue I feel to my core strongly about, it is that we need to, all caps, reconnect to nature. This is the solution to so much of what ails us. I'll finish here, but this won't be the last time I post, write, or podcast about this topic. In fact, it's the major theme of my novel and will be the theme of the three novels I plan to write over the next decade as part of my Four Elements series, which I see as my life's work. There will be other novels, short stories, essays, and poems to be sure, but this series is the big one for me. I thank you for taking the time to listen to this, and I hope that you'll consider this issue seriously. Now, Jeremy Woodard, who's really, like, probably, I've said this before, If people, all the people I've known in my life, like, he's in the top five of smartest people. He became, like, a, I don't know, geologist or something, and I think he lived in South Africa, in Norway, or Finland, Finland, I believe, and he speaks Finnish, Finnish, (laughs) Finnish? Anyway, he's super-duper smart. Um, very scientifically focused. I believe he is probably in the MBTI world and NT. Anyway, but he's a great guy. And he says, but as you consider this issue seriously, this is not just the common cold. Agreed. The rate of reported infections worldwide has been doubling weekly, but that rate is accelerating. True. Those are my comments by the side. Of those, look to places like Italy and Spain for more reliable statistics. The death rate in those countries with a well-developed, equipped, and funded healthcare system is close to 10%. 1 in 10, Deb. Now, your example is South Africa. We're talking about a country of nearly 60 million people. With approximately 19% of the adult population, HIV plus tuberculosis is rampant, particularly in that same demographic. In the province I live in, oh, he is in that South Africa, KZN, the rate of HIV infection is estimated to be close to 25%. Furthermore, it is estimated that 16% of households in RSA are informal settlements, the term used here for the slums or favelas or whatever term you want to use. Entire families living in a single room with no running water or basic sanitation. All these stats are available from the South African government. Since the first case, reported March 5th, the infections in South Africa have increased by 30 to 35% daily. As of today, there are 1,170 reported cases, and the first two deaths were reported today. We've seen what this virus has done in developed European countries. We're watching what is happening in the U.S. Every bit of information tells us to take this seriously. Yet when a much country with much higher risk than others heeds the warning you criticize, the healthcare system here is nowhere near the standard of Europe. This system will not be able to handle this. Just my two cents. I mean, I actually love this now. Alright, I'm gonna to admit to him. I'm gonna close this up now. I'm gonna to admit to him that I actually didn't re I kind of skimmed his response, which again that's again me being going too fast. So we're gonna finish this here. Twenty minutes. That's it. I'll put this as the main part. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, take care. Sorry, it actually rain. Actually rain now, but it feels good. Book three, chapter one. The lonely devil. Sylvanus spent much of his first week of mobility in bed. Mostly he slept, but sometimes he rested with his eyes open, reflecting on what had transpired and what might be next. Thinking about what was happening to the forest resulted in immediate tears, so he learned to avoid such thoughts. Instead, he focused on his present and the future. He was thrilled to be free and excited by the possibilities, yet he had no idea how this world worked or what his place was going to be in it. Eventually, he would get out of bed and merrily walk around the room. Each step was a revelation, something not to be taken for granted. When the Lucases weren't there, sometimes he would even jog around the house. Yet of all the things he did in those first weeks, dancing to the Lucases' extensive music collection made him the happiest. After dancing to the point of exhaustion, he would end up in the bathroom, examining his barky exterior in the mirror. It was more bark than skin, and was slowly flaking off, like sunburnt skin does. Unlike a sunburn, however, what lay underneath was not raw skin, but a thinner layer of bark. He tried to peel the bark further, but it wouldn't give. Besides, it hurt. When he first peered into the mirror, he'd been shocked. He had expected to see a face similar to Lucas's, but instead had been confronted by a monster. His face was a patchwork of bark with clumps sticking out most noticeably from his forehead and cheeks. His lips were not the usual pinkish-red, but were brownish-red. His nose looked like one large piece of bark flaking on the sides with two dark slits in the bottom, and his hair looked like a disheveled bird's nest. But there was one saving feature, his eyes. For one, their shape was certainly human. But what made them special was their color, a deep green with a hint of woodsy brown. They were the color of the forest. The rest of his body was just as barky as his face. Human skin broke through nowhere. Even in the areas where the bark didn't exist in thick clumps, there was still a layer of flaking bark. So, Sylvanus spent hours peeling up these flakes, hoping to see human skin emerge. Because he knew that as long as he looked like this, his mobility did him no good. He couldn't go out into the world. No, for the time being he was still trapped. At least the Lucases accepted his appearance. Both Lucas and Terry looked at Sylvanus like he was just a regular man, and Scarlet did her best. One day, he went into the living room, where Lucas's eyes were hopscotching over the sports page of the post. Terry was focused on a cooking show, how to make real Japanese sushi, and Scarlet had her head in a book. What's up, Sylvanus? Lucas asked, dropping the paper so he could see the tree man, who was still dopey from sleep. Me, I guess, the tree man said, drawing laughter from Lucas and Terry. You guess? Lucas said. Silent for a moment, Sylvanus said. It's just so weird, you know. When I was in that tree, I tried to imagine what life must be like for Paul Lucas and his family, but I just had no idea. What did you expect? Terry asked. I don't know, Sylvanus said, just not this. It seems like a dream. Well, maybe that's because you're sleeping so much, Lucas said, and Sylvanus laughed. Plus, and I hate to belabor this point, you are only seeing a tiny sliver of the world right now, just as you are only seeing a small slice of it in the tree. I know that, Paul. Sorry, I I know you do, Lucas said. On the plus side, I'd bet that you've seen a part of the world in a way that nobody else has ever seen before. "'Yeah, I wondered that, too,' Sylvanus said. "'Was I the only guy in a tree? Are there others?' "'Funny you should bring that up,' Lucas said. "'One night, when you were in the tree, "'I did a bit of research on the Internet about tree men "'and found some intriguing information. "'There were reports of man-eating trees in Madagascar, "'ancient forest gods in both Rome and Britain, "'and the Green Man, who has appeared in cultures all over the world,' but is especially common in the British Isles. But all of the things I found were not real things. They were part of the cultural imagination instead. So I think you are unique. At least if there is another of you out there, his story has not been widely publicized. Interesting, Sylvanus said. Still, Sylvanus, Lucas said, even though I understand that this is all very strange for you and I don't want to rush you, "'I really think if you can get out of the house from time to time, "'it will broaden your perspective.' "'That's just it, though,' Sylvanus said. "'By just getting out of the tree, "'I am having trouble processing what I'm experiencing.' "'That makes sense,' Terry said. "'Right now, we we just want you to get rest and begin to feel better.' "'Yeah, I don't mean to sound as if there's a rush,' Lucas said. "'I appreciate everything you guys have done for me,' Sylvanus said, "'and I'm sorry if I'm a burden.' "'Not at all.' "'Lucas said. We like having you here. "'We just wish you had the energy to stay awake longer.' "'It's coming,' Sylvanus said. "'Slowly, but it's coming.' "'He went back to his room, feeling a little guilty. "'He hadn't been entirely truthful with the Lucases. "'Sure, he was adapting to life as a mobile creature, "'finding his land legs, if you will, "'and increasing his energy. "'But that wasn't the main reason he didn't want to leave the house. "'Was he always going to look like such a freak?' A few weeks passed, and during that time, Sylvanus began to spend more time awake, usually in front of the television. He told Lucas and Terry that watching TV was his way of getting out into the world. Both cautioned him that the world on TV was not the same thing as the real world outside of the house, but they understood that Sylvanus was fascinated by watching all the moving images and listening to the various bits of nonsense one could hear on TV. It was all rather overwhelming. There were so many choices not only in the number of channels, almost 100 on the Lucas's cable package, but all the various shows, sports, news, documentaries, cooking shows, travel shows, war shows, nature shows, the list went on and on. And then there were the ads. When he'd lived in the tree, Sylvanus really had no idea how many things there were in the human world. If you could imagine it, It probably existed, and was probably being sold to you by a good-looking somebody on some channel or another. They, the people on TV, were almost all good-looking, of course. No way would the TV station owners ever subject their viewers with having to see a scary oddity like Sylvanus on their screen. Nope, he was about as far from TV appropriate as a guy could be. On the other hand, he did notice that there was some kind of holiday coming up where people dressed in scary costumes. Perhaps he could be on one of those advertisements. After watching for a few hours, though, he'd have to turn the TV off. He could only stand so many pretty faces in one sitting. And, to be honest, he was getting tired of sitting. He was going to have to leave sooner or later. As he was pondering this, the doorbell rang. It wasn't the first time this had happened, but he'd always ignored it, until now. No, he was bored, and while he worried about how the person outside might react when they saw him, he decided to throw caution to the wind. It was, after all, only one person. He walked slowly toward the door, wrestling with his decision. He finally convinced himself that if the Lucases could look at him without freaking out, so could this person at the door. He reached out for the door handle. Here goes nothing. And opened the door. A balding, middle-aged man in a shabby suit stood there, eyes cast down slightly toward some pamphlets in his hand, and he started. Uh, hello, I'm from the... He looked up and saw Sylvanus. The um, Jehovah's Witness, uh, yeah, here, take these. He shoved two pamphlets in Sylvanus' hand, already backpedaling as though Sylvanus was an infectious leper, and before Sylvanus could secure the pamphlets, they fell to the ground and the man had turned away, speed walking down the driveway. Wait, Sylvanus yelled. I'm not going to bite. But the man kept going, right on by the neighbor's house and out of the cul de sac. Sylvanus picked up the pamphlets and closed the door. So much for taking chances. Dejected, he walked back into the living room and sat on the couch. Did he really look that bad? The guy couldn't even blubber an introduction before running off? What had he seen when he saw Sylvanus? Whatever, Sylvanus said and looked at the pamphlets in his hand. Is the devil real? asked the top one, which was called the Watchtower. Yes, and he lives in a cul-de-sac in Lincolnton, Sylvanus said, then growled as scary a growl as he could. Are you all alone? The second pamphlet asked. Sylvanus didn't have the heart to come up with a wisecrack for that one. Don't worry about that dude, Lucas told Sylvanus over dinner that night. Paul's right, Sylvanus, Terry said. Jehovah's witnesses are pretty strange, and they are not reflective of how most people think and act. Sylvanus knew he should trust Lucas and Terry and knew there was some truth to what they said. Yet he also knew that many people would react to him the same way the man had because he still looked like a tree with a man's form. I appreciate you guys trying to cheer me up, Sylvanus said, but seriously, I've got to do something to get this bark off me. It is coming off, Terry said, just maybe not as fast as you want it to. Definitely not as fast as I want it to, Sylvanus said. I want to get out of the house, but I can't. Not like this. Isn't there anything I can do to speed it up? I wish I had a definite answer to that question, Sylvanus Lucas said. Perhaps we could bring you to a dermatologist, Terry said. Do you really think they'll know what to do, Lucas said. There's no dermatologist who has ever seen anything like this before. I know, Paul, Terry said, but they are more qualified to have a possible solution than we are. It just pisses me off, you know, Sylvanus said. I wanted so badly to get out of that tree so I could see the world, and now I can't. I'm cursed. Look, I know this is frustrating, Lucas said, but we're going to figure something out. If nothing else, you could start going out for car rides at night. At least that way you could see some of the world around here. Good idea, Terry said, and in the meantime, I'll see if I can find a dermatologist to look at you. Thanks, guys, Sylvanus said, and sorry, I really don't want to trouble you. Don't worry about it, Lucas said. Just remember, Sylvanus, you don't have to do any of this alone. If we really didn't want to help you... We would have just left you in that tree. Okay, Sylvanus said. He was comforted by their words and ideas. Still, he felt there was more he could do. But what? A few nights later, Sylvanus had a chance to finally get outside. The idea was Scarlet's. Can't Sylvanus go trick-or-treating with us? She asked Lucas. As soon as she asked him, the answer seemed perfectly obvious. I don't see why not. He can wear that wolfman mask I wore a few years ago. It didn't take much to convince Sylvanus. Not only would he get to go out, he'd get to do something fun with Scarlet. She was dressed as the Princess Jasmine from the movie Aladdin. Terry quite liked this choice, as Jasmine was a strong, modern woman who still retained her femininity. Lucas had splurged on a full costume of Shrek, a lovable giant green ogre from a popular kids movie that Scarlet really liked. So that gusty evening, as the sun was going down, the three of them set out. Lucas and Scarlet in their new, fancy costumes, and Sylvanus wearing the shoddy wolfman mask that loosely fit over his barky face. But it was enough to give him the confidence to escape the house, if only for an hour or two. Sadly, there weren't many other trick-or-treaters. Lucas lamented this fact every year. Compared to when he was a kid in the late 1970s and early 1980s, the neighborhood was a ghost town without the ghosts, ghouls, and goblins. Still, this reality didn't stop the Lucases from enjoying this American suburban tradition. Nor did the cold, biting wind. In fact, because there were so few trick-or-treaters, it seemed like they were taking in a large booty, more than the usual one candy, from most of the houses they visited. Both Lucas and Terry made sure Scarlet didn't eat much candy, but they made an exception for Halloween. They were chatting about how much candy they were going to eat when it happened. As Sylvanus leaned over to tie his shoes, he moved the wolfman mask back on his head so he could see better, and the wind blew the mask right off his head and into some bushes. "'Oh, no!' "'What happened?' asked Lucas, who'd been chatting with Scarlet about the four costumes of a group that was approaching them. There was another Shrek, a vampire, a baseball player, and a wizard. They were much older than Scarlet, perhaps junior high school kids. "'My mask just blew off,' Sylvanus said. "'Where?' ''Into those bushes,'' he said, pointing. The darkness concealed the mask. ''I'll help you,'' Lucas said. ''No, I'll find it,'' Sylvanus said. ''My mistake, I'll find it. Stay with Scarlet.'' Just then, the other party arrived, and the wizard said, ''What's going on?'' Lucas didn't want to embarrass Sylvanus, so he said, ''Nothing much, just getting candy. You?'' ''Same,'' the baseball player said. ''Whoa!'' the vampire said. ''Check out that mask!'' He pointed at Sylvanus. ''That's wicked realistic!'' Sylvanus stopped moving toward the bushes. Um, yeah, Lucas said, thanks. Sure, the kid said. I bet you could win a contest with that one. What is it? A, um, tree man, Lucas said. Wow, original, too, the Shrek said, unlike ours. Lucas laughed. True. Okay, guys, uh, take it easy, but don't take all the candy. Yeah, we will, the vampire said, and they started to walk off. Okay, Lucas said, let's see about finding your mask. But Sylvanus didn't move. What? Lucas asked. And then he saw. Sylvanus was fighting off tears. Hey, hey, don't take it like that. Don't. But then he realized no words were going to ease the pain. So he hugged the tree man, holding him until Sylvanus said, "Okay, I'm okay. Let's call it a night, Lucas said. No, Sylvanus said. What? Don't let me stop you guys, Sylvanus said. That'll only make me feel worse. No, let's keep going. He trampled into the bushes, reached down, and said, Got it. Let's go. They continued to gather candy for the next hour, and during that hour, Lucas had a strange but comforting thought. It was fitting that under the former tree man's barky exterior, there lived a man who was not easily shaken. Chapter 2. The Information Age One evening in early November, Larry called. He told Lucas he'd been traveling around the American Southwest when, by serendipity, he'd met a young reporter named Randy Rhodes, who worked for the Tacoma Times, an alternative weekly in Tacoma. Randy Rhodes? Lucas repeated. You mean like the guitarist for Ozzy Osbourne in the 80s, whose tragic death sent shockwaves of sorrow into the hearts of metalheads the world over? Are you still mourning? Larry asked. Nah, I never was much of a metalhead, Lucas said. Me neither, Larry said. Anyway, same name, but I think it's spelled differently, not that it matters. What matters is I told him about Sylvanus, and he is interested in telling Sylvanus' story. He said he was aware of the Last Rush Canyon mall debate, and had wanted to do a story about it, but his editor said it was too far away from Tacoma. So how has that changed now? Well, he also said his editor has a soft spot for news of the weird, and he was sure if we promised him the first chance to interview Sylvanus, He'd be able to do the story, Larry said. Anyway, he said he'd be back in town around the end of November. Lucas looked at Sylvanus. He was sitting on the couch with a pained expression on his face, absorbing a nature documentary about the destruction of coral reefs due to overfishing, pollution, and other human activities. Lucas asked, And are you sure we can trust him? As sure as I can be, considering his profession, Larry answered. Look, Paul, this guy's just what the doctor ordered. "'Open-minded, but not foolish. "'Intelligent, but not a know-it-all. "'He's solid.' "'Okay,' Lucas said. "'Just so long as a dude can play the riff from Tracy Crane, "'he'll be all right with me.' "'Lucas hung up the phone. "'That was Larry,' he said. "'But Sylvanus didn't respond. "'Did you hear me?' "'Oh, sorry, what?' "'That call was from Larry.' "'Larry?' Sylvanus said, and his energy perked up. "'Does he have any news from his research about my past?' No, nothing yet, Lucas said. No, this was about a fortuitous meeting with the reporter when he was in Arizona. He said this guy wants to meet you. You know, tell your story. Sylvanus didn't respond. Lucas knew he'd been spending too much time watching TV, especially news stations. While doing so, he'd also been subject to Lucas's frequent diatribes, where he reiterated how the media, especially the corporate TV media, was not to be trusted how they were in cahoots with big business and big government, the very sort of people who destroyed Last Rush so they could erect them all. I know, Sylvanus, Lucas said. We have to be careful about who we let tell your story. You do trust Larry, right? Yes, Sylvanus said quickly. Well, Larry vouches for this guy, and that's good enough for me. After a pause, Sylvanus finally said, Then I suppose it's okay with me, too. Lucas continued in his attempts to convince the tree man to get out into the world, away from the TV, but his efforts were fruitless. Silvanus had a few reasons for staying home, but mostly it was that he wasn't ready to bear his face after the incident with his Jehovah's Witness and the trick-or-treaters. Since that time, the thick bark had continued to fall off, and the most encouraging thing was he was starting to see some human skin on his feet and hands, but most of his body was still barky. The other good news was that his hair was starting to unclump and was looking more like hair and less like a headful of twigs. Lucas thought that the image consciousness the TV promoted was not helping Sylvanus' confidence, so he and Terry set limits on his TV time. Sylvanus trusted them, so he accepted these limits, but he was like a moth to a light bulb, and sometimes when the Lucas family was at work in school, the tree man couldn't pull himself away. So he'd watch and watch and invariably end up crying or sometimes screaming at the TV, a habit which he seemed to have picked up from Lucas. Two of his favorite non-news channels were the History Channel and the Discovery Channel. On the former, he discovered that he had a morbid fascination with the World War II shows and they often stirred with him powerful emotions, rage, sadness, and a desire for revenge. He suspected he'd been involved in that conflict, but because his memory was so mysterious and shallow, he often confused by how strong his emotions were. On the latter, he watched the nature programs, simultaneously awed by the diversity of the natural world and angered at how humanity seemed to be destroying so much of it. Why? He didn't know, but sometimes he pondered the mythology that the trees had about man, and he wondered if the trees were right. It seemed man was so busy trying to express his dominion over nature, he'd forgotten that he was just one aspect of its totality. But life wasn't all frustration for the tree man. Two things were pleasant surprises. He could both read and write. Again, this lent credence to his memories of a human life before life in the tree. Terry convinced him that he should take up journaling with the idea that perhaps he'd be able to stir up some memories of his past. Plus, they all figured it'd be interesting in the future to look back on the entries and read his initial impressions of life in human culture. One day, Lucas came home with a reading assignment for Sylvanus. The book was Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. This book will tell you about American history from the perspectives of the losers and the everyday people, Lucas told him, unlike what you'll hear out of that box. So do yourself a favor and cut into your TV time by an hour or two every day so you can read this book. If we can't get you out of this house, we can still broaden your mind in other ways. Sylvanus agreed reminding himself that not only did he trust Lucas, but that Lucas was a top-quality schoolteacher and thus likely had some good ideas about how to educate people. With that thought in mind, Sylvanus suddenly remembered a phrase he'd heard on CNN that day he wanted to ask Lucas about. Collateral damage? Lucas repeated. Ah, man, I really hate that phrase. Basically, it's the military's sanitized way of referring to civilians they've inadvertently killed. Is it only about people? Sylvanus asked. Actually, I think it can also be about property, buildings, and equipment, but I'm not sure. What about land? Or animals? Trees? A good question, Lucas said. I don't think those things fall under the normal definition, but they probably should. They definitely should, Sylvanus said. I was just thinking that Last Rush is a kind of collateral damage of the Lincolnton Outlet Mall. You're right, Lucas said. Language is a funny thing, Sylvanus. It has incredible power in shaping our reality. People often use words to minimize the emotional impact of an experience, or to flat-out deny it. For example? For example, if somebody dies, we often say they passed away, Lucas said. But that's just in our everyday language, and I can understand it. Death is a hard subject, and sometimes we have to treat it sensitively. However... There is a more insidious use of language, which collateral damage is an example of. It's the use of language by the powerful to make something that is unacceptable acceptable. Can you think of any other examples? Sylvanus asked, enjoying this educational experience. Yes, I've got a great one, Lucas said. Before World War II, what is now known as the Department of Defense was known as the War Department. Are you kidding me? Sylvanus asked. Not at all, Lucas said. It's likely in that Zen book. So now, any time since World War II, when America has had troops fighting in a foreign country, from Korea to Vietnam to Panama to Afghanistan, we have always been told it's a matter of national defense, not an aggressive act of war. An act of war fought by people who really have no choice in whether they want to fight it, Sylvanus said, angry now. What do you mean? Well, today I was watching CNN and they were interviewing some filmmaker who was saying that if these wars the politicians started were so noble, why were there almost no children of those politicians fighting them? Uh, Good point, Lucas said. Yeah, but there's more, Silvanus said. He said that the vast majority of the people fighting them are poor people, people who didn't have much in the way of opportunity to escape poverty, so they felt compelled to join the military as their only way out. It pisses me off. Yeah, it's certainly not fair, Lucas said, but the powers that be learned their lesson after our last war, the one in Vietnam. What happened? Well, at that time, they had a draft, so middle-class kids were being sent over to fight, only to come back in body bags, or, if not that, psychologically screwed up, Lucas said. It caused many people to oppose the war, and maybe more, to begin to question the government. They discontinued the draft, and ever since then, we've had an All volunteer military. Sylvanus didn't say anything. Finally, he said, Paul, why didn't you tell me? Tell you? What? That this world you brought me into was so twisted, confused, and dark, Sylvanus said, and he could feel some of his patented sappy tears forming in his eyes, though they seemed a little less sappy recently. I don't know, Lucas said. Look, Sylvanus, you're right. There's a lot that's wrong with this world. And we have to face what's wrong with it and not deny that. But the more time you spend in front of the TV, the more likely you're going to feel this world sucks. But listen, there's also a lot that's right with the world. I can't teach you this. It's something you've got to experience, and in order to do that, you're going to have to leave this house. Sylvanus sighed. I know you are right, and I will leave, I promise. Neither Lucas nor Terry wanted to rush the tree man, but both were starting to worry about his progress, or lack thereof. With that in mind, Terry located a dermatologist who worked in downtown Lincolnton. When she'd called to make the appointment, she was careful not to say too much, only that she had a friend with a very unique skin problem, and they wanted an introductory consultation to see if the doctor had any ideas about how to help him. The receptionist had been a little frustrated by Terry's vagueness, But Terry was able to convince her that she really couldn't describe the issue over the phone, but not to worry, because they weren't expecting any miracles. So one Friday in late November during dinner, she told Sylvanus that she'd made an appointment with a skin doctor the following Monday. I'm not going, Sylvanus said, almost pouting. Sylvanus? No, Paul, I'm sorry, but I can't do it, Sylvanus said. If you're remembering the way those kids reacted to you, don't, Lucas said. Those were just kids. This is a doctor who deals with people who have skin problems and will thus be sensitive to your feelings. I don't know that, Sylvanus said. And remember, there was also that salesman. Come on, Sylvanus, Lucas said, frustrated. No, Paul, Sylvanus said. That's my final answer on the matter. Sylvanus, Paul, Terry said. Sylvanus is right. It's his choice in the end. Well, I would love for you to change your mind, Sylvanus. I can understand if you don't, but... You need to decide for sure tonight, so if I need to cancel, I can call tomorrow, okay? Sure, Sylvanus said, but I don't need to sleep on it. I don't want to see a doctor. I'm just going to be patient, just like you guys originally said.